Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, a philosophy babe magnet who's into learning improv. And I am Bill Arnett, an improv gym rat, ready to dive into philosophy. Each of us has come to this with a lesson in mind to convey to the other person. We've got two rules for the conversation. We're not going to say what the lesson is up front, and we're not going to take turns. When the lesson is done, we'll tell you what we learned. Our judge bot 5000 will decide which lesson produced the most profound effect. Yes. What's going, Bill? I'm doing well. I've got my topic ready to go. Well, why don't you start us off? Well, great. Let's do some improv scenes, Mark. And I know, I think we had someone comment that your improv has been getting better. They felt like your improv was improving. Do you feel like your improv is improving? Uh, I, I, if somebody said it, then it must be true. <laughs> Are you enjoying it? I'm definitely enjoying it. I, would, I wouldn't be here. I'm yes-anding the project. Okay. And uh, our listeners, by I'm sorry, just by listening to this, you have yes-anded the project. You're in. Yes. It's funny you say yes and. I say that precious little. Isn't that interesting? It's a whole concept that there are probably whole entire podcasts about that I have eschewed. Yes, and <laughs> yet probably you believe something that is a, a translation of that, but more refined. I bet that's a psychology thing as well. Let's dive in. Mark, I would love for you to start this thing. And for us to be whatever you like, and I will follow your style, and I'll follow my best to follow what you're feeling. All right. Now, I've brought all of you here today because there's been some shenanigans. Uh Uh-oh. And I think, uh, Uh, Bob, why don't you just step up here? uh, Sure. I had left some stuff in the break room fridge. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And it had my name clearly on it. Uh Uh-huh. Carmine. Yeah. I realize I write rather large and uh, sometimes it just comes out like his car when I put it on there. But I think, I think there are not too many. I mean, I mean, there's Carbo there, but I I think most of the employees would understand. Carbo buys his lunch. Carbo buys his lunch. Exactly. And yet consistently Uh my sandwiches, Uh my soup, my pickled herring, these things keep disappearing. Uh And I'm pretty sure you're at the root of it. Well, I, I, don't, I don't. Hey, look! If, if you're bringing pickle hair and maybe somebody's not eating it, but throwing it in the trash, if you, I, mean, I mean that stuff. <laughs> uh, I can't say what has happened to the items. All that I know is that they are missing, and I have uh, done a chart here. I, I, here it is. Ooh, okay. Uh, so this has every single all 36 employees that are all in this room with us today. Do you still want me standing up here? Do you still, can I sit down? Yes, you or got, do- no, no, you got to stay up here. Okay. I mean, Carbo had to go early, but the 35 remaining employees plus Carbo, I've mapped out what days they were here uh-huh. versus when the things disappeared. And I've done this chart such that only you could have been the one who was here on all the days. You got a lot of data. <laughs> That's a lot of data points. Uh, 
Where do you think Carbo is from? Where, where do you think that name is from? Carbo. What do you think? <laughs> is that? I guess uh, I. Well, he's Italian, so I guess I thought it was Car- Carbo. Now I don't want to say anything offensive about Italians. He's, but it, it, well, <laughs> I mean, he is he's loaded. But that you know, I'm just. We shouldn't make fun of the man's name. Well, I'm not making fun. I'm, I'm curious. I'm just. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm up here. You're presenting me with a lot of data that's going to be difficult to refute. I'm not going to lie. Uh, now I understand. I see Tracy's name is right below yours uh-huh. and they pretty much match up, but you know that she couldn't do such a thing. Well, I, she is okay. She's left. I'm not sure why she just fled. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have the, the hand strength to pull out some of the things. When I have my monster hoagie, yeah, I think that rules her out. I think of Tracy as handy capable. Okay. You've probably seen her in the copy room. It is amazing what she can do with her ability, with her different ability. Thin wrists. I don't know if that's a protected class. She just has very thin wrists. It, it's, it's, they're medically, it's, they're medically, we've discussed, we've talked about it. It's a condition and I think we should just a round of applause for Tracy, everybody. Oh, okay. Uh, Here I really she's, think. She's uh, coming even, back. She's wearing like thick woolen things around her wrist. I'm, I'm really sorry, Miss, if I made you self-conscious about about your wrists. There's nothing wrong with a uh, uh, thin wrists. I was using it as an exculpatory feature to say that you are not the kind of person that I think, uh, unless you had some sort of sandwich wedging tool, some other uh, device to carry extra heavy items, that would be the perpetrator of the things that we're discussing here. I would say. She's not the kind of person who would steal your food because she's a good person. But I would think that if she believed that it would help others to steal your food, she would not be stopped by her very thin wrists and arms. That's what I believe. And I think this meeting is over. And I think we should all go back to our desks and get our work done for the day. I feel like there should be some openness. I don't want to do these kind of things in a closed room. I don't want to be accused of, of some impropriety of grabbing you or what. So I think we need to do this in front of everybody because I mean, your sales are great. I gotta, I gotta say, I would have just fired you (laughs) for this, but I mean, when you go into one of those office managers and you pitch our particular really unusual product, it usually takes some explaining, but you're, you're so good at that. In fact, why don't you just, I think maybe as a way of resolving this, uh, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to say just a warning on the lunch thing, but, uh, could you give an example to the other sales folks here of how you would pitch that most unusual office product? Well, yeah. When people ask, do you really sell computer keyboards without an eye? Well, let me just say this. I always say, yes, we do. And that is the product. And what is an eye, but an L, really, without the dot. And when you're typing, you know, the eye's in a funny place on the keyboard, and it's just more natural for people. Yeah, and, and again, you've probably tried to explain it, but here's my own special technique is I disrespect what they hold dear. Okay, that's what you do. You go in there, you find out what are the things that they claim is theirs, that they that they have ownership over at their business, okay? We're great at making toothpaste tubes. We're great at making boxes, okay? And then I disrespect it. I disrespect it and push our eyeless keyboards onto them. Can we uh, demonstrate this? Can we role play just a little bit just so we can really show show the other sales associates? Hello, it's, uh, it's I'm Mr. Uh, toothpaste uh, seller. I, I'm not so good at thinking of names. 
toothpaste seller person Morgan Stern. Sure. Okay. Well, yeah, like one of our big our big uh, client toothpaste seller Morgan Stern. I think that you were actually netted them. So then I don't have enough to make up the name. Well, it's nice to meet you, Mister Toothpaste Client Morgan Stern. And let me just say, is this you know you got a lot of great stuff on your desk here? Is this all yours? I'm just going to take it. I'm going to take your little mug of pens. All right, this is mine now. This is mine now. Well, I'm startled by your effrontery. I'm startled. Wait, what's wrong I, with that? I'm, well, <laughs> I have got something to show you. I have something to show you. And that is this. Not 101 key keyboard, a 100 key keyboard. A, less expensive. You're saving money. B, just as functional. All right. So it leaves out the right bracket because I don't usually end my brackets. Oh, it's got brackets. Curly oh, and okay. straight. Hmm. All, All right. right. Critical important. What it's missing is the I key. All right. Now, before you say, go ahead and say what you're going to say. Well, I mean, there is no I in team. So I'm, I mean, yeah, and you see, you see what I gets you when we claim things with I, like you think this is your nameplate. It's mine now. I own this nameplate. Do you like that? Does that make you comfortable? It does not make me comfortable. Let's get rid of I. Let's get rid of I. Well, it's not in toothpaste. Would we say our toothpaste has a, a special wootening formula? What, what, how would we, how, would we how, how much this? of your budget is dedicated to keyboards. I, I'm, I'm guessing a sizable percentage. I've been in this game a long time. Probably 40, 45% of your budget is keyboards. Yeah, probably. Not uncommon. Not uncommon. How would you like to lower that budget? That sounds really good. I, th- I think get it down to 40. I, imagine only spending 43% of your gross on keyboards. That's what I think would be a good idea. All right. I'm sold. See, okay. That was wonderful, Great. Bob. Great. Thank you, Bob. Um, I think this whole lunch thing, we can just forget about that and get out there and make some sales. Let's go, team. Hands in. Hey, you got barbecue sauce in your hand. Hmm? End. And scene. And fun. All right. <laughs> a scene within a scene. I was tempted to go a scene within a scene within a scene. <laughs> but but double nest that thing. Well, it was enjoyable. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I think so. I, I put you on the spot there. In improv products that I've listened to where they often involves a list of some sort or, you know, and I, and I feel like I would be very bad at that, but at least making you think of this one product and you definitely came through with something that was uh, serviceable. <laughs> it was good. It was enjoyable. There's a big thing in the improv world. Don't ask questions. You put the onus on someone else. Don't make the people jump through hoops. You know, it's sometimes people will say, use the word pimping to mean Making someone do something. Oh, sing that song you always sing. Hey, do that dance you always do. And, you know, it's enjoyable. And I think, I think the audience gets it. They understand that this thing is improvised and this person is being put on the spot. Ha, 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 ha. So in some ways, it's attractive to do in a show. It's attractive to do in a scene. But the standard theory is that it puts your partner, as you acknowledged, in a difficult spot. I'm going to say this, Mark. I like making things up. <laughs> I would hope so. I enjoy creating. And when you ask me a question, you don't put me on the spot. You give me the ball and now I get to run with it and go score a touchdown. That's what I'm trying to say. Now, are you concerned that when someone does something like that to you, that Mm -hmm. is there an element of fishing? Like hopefully one would actually pass you the ball, actually give you the chance to run with it. Clearly, once you said the I thing, I was fishing for the, there is no I in team. I thought that was the obvious thing, mm-hmm. such that I had to just eventually say it myself. But what is the protocol for 
I've given you the ball. It is now yours to play with until you hand it back. Well, one piece of this is people listening at home, they are listening to Bob and Mr. Jenkins, whoever you were in that scene, Carmine. Uh, they're listening to Bob and Carmine, but they're also listening to Bill and Mark. And if they have a history with us, then they know the kinds of choices that you might make, the kind of choices that I might make. And they are either rooting on or cheering or laughing or enjoying both the actors and the characters that are being portrayed. And that's a kind of a funny thing that happens sometimes. You know, you go watch a movie with a star. Sometimes uh, there's some indie movies who don't want to put a recognizable face in their movies simply because they don't want the audience going, hey, I love that actor. They're fantastic. So in that regard, there's a lot going on. I've forgotten your question. But the- <laughs> I, I hope that there are listeners that have picked one of us as the goat and that are like, fair enough. I, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that bill, but I, that Mark, I mean, he's just annoying. He reads all those commercials and are rooting for you or vice versa. Sure. I, I don't know that we're doing anything despite the logo, which shows the improviser as a rather demonic character, which I did not draw, but I approved. That's fine. I don't think we're doing anything to to set those particular roles. Is it difficult when you get pimped to make into a list or something? It is frightening, but it is in some ways, but it's rewarding when you get used to it and can do it. And when you realize that it doesn't matter what you say. I have two options, two general options. A, I can swing for the fences and do something ridiculous. We sell keyboards with no eye key. That would be an example. B, I can go really, really safe. We sell shower curtain rings. I go very mundane or very ridiculous. Either one of them can work because it's not the idea that makes it funny. It's how we support that idea and how we play that idea. Whatever I am selling that we've agreed upon is somewhat ridiculous. My logic will be stupid. And it is the logic of morons that fuels improvisation. We want, the audience wants moron logic. They want to hear people's stupid ideas and that they believe or are trying to convince the other person to believe. And asking me a question about what we sell is a doorway to get some moron logic. And while it may be a little trepidatious, I know that there be gold in them that are hills. This may point to a way that my approach to philosophy is different than a lot of people's because I appreciate moron logic (laughs) and the fact that there has to be some kind of logic to it Right. It can't simply be random absurdity like that would be a move. Sure. But if just it just keeps being more and more random absurdity. Well, at least the pieces, you know, the mind will draw links between the pieces of apparent nonsense so that there ends up being a certain kind of logic in the way things progress. It's just not in the way of scholarly logic, something that is. Yes. One definite answer. There's a more creative, open ended aspect to it. I would agree. And I'd say sometimes in improv, your stab may be illogical and ridiculous intentionally, knowing that you then have the rest of the scene to build logic around that illogical stab. So have you thought about those kind of, I want to put logic in quotes, but logical patterns between, you know, any kind of what constitutes a legitimate reaction to something, right? As opposed to a mere coincidence, right? If, If I say something and you've already determined before we even come in, what your lesson is going to be, what you're, you know, what mm-hmm. you're going to say, then that's not an interaction at all. But insofar as there are an interaction, then there are, of course, like I was saying, an open-ended creative number of responses, but there's a definite sort of finite directionality. And it seems like what we're learning here with improv is just like in chess. You think when you don't know how to play chess, 
and I'm not a good chess player, but I know enough. I've, I've watched the TV shows. I know enough to know that there are particular strategies. And because there are only so many pieces that like, okay, you're doing this opening. Well, you're, you know, there are only, you know, a few different opening strategies that are going to be good at all. And you're doing this one. Part of the something that's difficult is there are many improvisers who don't necessarily want to jump in the pool or don't necessarily want to make a choice unless they already understand what that choice means or they fear making a choice that they don't understand what it means rather than making a choice and then listening to that choice that they themselves have already made. You know, it's that backwards justifying that improv is, is very, very good at. And in fact, you're able to do. And if you're writing a book or something, it's going to be logical. And when you're thinking of ideas, you, your idea may come with the logic intact. And you might reject an idea unless you want to be crazy and just, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw my characters a curveball that I don't even understand and let them sort it out. Authors can certainly write that way. And that certainly happens, but it's probably seen as a lesser, <laughs> not lesser, but a, as a more wild technique. In improv, we're doing it all the time. You know, it takes two points to make a line. And you may think with your first line, in fact, I think we did one a, a, several weeks ago where I intentionally tried to put a point out in space after your initial point that would form a line that you never would have guessed. I wish I could remember that scene now. <laughs> it was a while ago. But it's just the idea that when you go in and you say your first line, oh, great, now we're using line geometrically and and <laughs> as, a, as a metaphor. Yes, when you receive your first independent clause of dialogue, uh, your first collection of dialogue, you can't turn off your brain. You're already assuming what it means and, and where the scene is going to be going. But until I add that second data point, my own independent clause, both of which those together form a line, then we can have something. So to your question, has an action even happened if there's no reaction? I guess we could say, can a scene ex even exist if I'm not reacting to what you're doing? So maybe we should try another scene or exercise to briefly illustrate this in just as transparent a way as possible. Not the, I'm going to ignore what you say. I mean, I do that in plenty of scenes. Uh, we don't need to demonstrate that. We did something that we released only for the supporters where we recorded some phrases that were potentially going to be something that we work into our, our uh, the trailer. So maybe do something like that. And some of those, it actually turned out that we were kind of reacting to each other in a loose way some of the time, because that's just a natural way to think. But let's see if there's any logic. Give me a phrase. We're now entering the scene in quotes zone, the exercise zone. Throw the ball to me and I'll try to throw it back. And we'll do this several times and just kind of stop and look at what sort of logic was at play there. All right. So we're trying to make some kind of pattern, see if a pattern emerges. Yeah. Or? So we're not talking about like just a word. We're, we're, this sure, is not a, a word phrase. association game. This is a, you know, a line. Look, uh, Dennis, uh, I saw your girlfriend kissing Derek. My girlfriend is Derek. Okay. So, you know, or... You just find out about this too? Wait a minute. Are we doing this right, Mark? Are we doing this right? <laughs> it's ambiguous. Are we, are we, do, are we actually having a conversation or are we doing an exercise? <laughs> and you can interpret it either way. I think that I was taking it in the more abstract sense. <laughs> now I will say this. You're a line. Some people would don't like it when people do really weird, confusing things in improv. And it's because it makes them question their prior choices and assumptions. Well, guess what? Maybe you shouldn't have been making those prior choices and, and assumptions. And if there's any improvisers out there and someone says something weird or confusing, kind of like you are attempting to do, Mark, it's okay for your character to be confused and not understand. 
That's my little nugget for anyone aspiring to improvise. You are allowed to not understand what's going on in character. Both actor and character are allowed to not fully understand what's going on. All right. So let's try that one more time without being characters. We're just talking about the logic of the individual utterances. You could be transport, you know, this could be super short form improv. And you would like me to respond to what you say to try to encapsulate it logically. Whether respond or just give a reacting sentence. It's not necessarily like a character is hearing the sentence and saying something else, but just that we're throwing the ball around. You got it. I'm going to have to buy a minivan. The family's growing. I got to buy a minivan. If the family grows too much, a minivan will not be enough. You know, I never thought I'd ever say this, but we've got plenty of bookmarks. We've got enough bookmarks. Not enough bookmarks to fill a minivan. I've decided I'm going to have that procedure, that special procedure. You never have too many procedures. Look, um, the neighbor's cat is dead on our roof. Better get the minivan. All right, let's. let's okay, there that. we are. All right. Is that what you had in mind? Uh you know, I wasn't sure. <laughs> so I guess the thing I've been trying to get at is whether there is, have you heard the term dialectics? Yes. What do you think that is? I have heard that it is point, counterpoint, resolution, that somehow between these two points that there may actually be some agreement to be sussed out. Huh? Yes. I knew somebody who was obsessed with it. The general description of that, which was used all the way back to the ancient Greeks, is mm. just having an argument, having a conversation. Sure. But the sort of famous way that this has been used is by Hegel, who sort of is, these weren't even actually his terms, but thesis, antithesis, synthesis, which is what you're talking about, that somebody says something and then somebody else doesn't have to be just saying. The whole idea is that this is a structure that you can see, say, in the progress of art. So like, oh, you know, we had the uptight, or in culture, so we had the uptight 50s, and then we had the loosey-goosey freedom 60s. But then the 70s somehow was a reaction to the 60s, you know, and by the time we got to the 80s, then we had some, but always the response to the response retains something from both from what it's responding to, because obviously, even if you're saying the opposite of something, you're sort of within the same framework as it, but it is echoing sort of what was two steps before every, so every step kind of encompasses building on the prior thing. It may in some ways reject aspects of the prior thing, but it is not denying the prior thing. It is not reactionary it is evolutionary yeah so while we were playing a very loose game such that Mm -hmm. it wasn't the case that you know i wasn't just trying to negate what you just said at all right i wasn't saying you weren't saying uh you know i saw your girlfriend kissing whatever i said no like that would just be the opposite but no there's a range of things that can be you could twist things around you can counterpoint you know but a, a finite range of things semantically that you could do to respond to that. And then, so I was trying to see whether this might be just an exercise that we could come back to at some point. (laughs) So my sort of third response was incorporating because humor, of course, naturally includes callbacks. So when we're doing something random like this, if I, if you're bringing up the van, uh, you know, I say something about the van, you go to somewhere else. Okay. My next response might also involve the van. Yes. So what was your thought in the move where you brought up the never have too many procedures, then you said something about the cat being dead. Can you say say what? I was intentionally trying to move away, actually, from anything that we were doing. Now, you could certainly make a link that procedure, hinting at something medical, we're getting to dead cat. But I was actually intentionally trying to push the boundaries a little bit. I'm going to say this. There's a lot of, in the classic improv world of there are no mistakes. Nothing you say is wrong. And in fact, 
I would agree that we can find any two random lines of dialogue from two different books and make them the first and second lines of our scene. And I bet we can make that work and not even sweat over it. I I think there's probably an elegant solution to it. Some people hear that, that there's no mistakes and are like, oh, great. No one will laugh at me. I have permission to fail. But I would rather people hear that there's no mistakes and instead say, good, let's push the boundaries. If there's no improv police, let's go rob a bank. If that distinction makes sense. I'm serious. We could get random lines, random words, and any two points can make a geometric line, which is a metaphor for the scene, that there is a logic that can hold any two points together. It may be strange. It may be weird. It's not even that one person is crazy. In fact, someone straight up saying no to me is probably the easiest. Me saying, hey, I saw your girlfriend kissing Derek. No, you didn't. That was an illusion. That's actually an easier thing for me to play with than I saw your girlfriend kissing Derek. Twice the night before Christmas and all through the house. That might be a more difficult thing other than just making you crazy, which is always an option. Maybe not one you always want to exercise. You're in denial. A personal denial, you know, of what happened. Your significant other is being unfaithful. The trajectory of what counts as a response. When we started the exercise the first time, I saw your your girlfriend kissing Derek, and I said, Derek is my girlfriend. That was clearly, linguistically, a pretty elementary, but interpreted, you know, you were still playing the, I'm a character, and I'm saying this to an actual other character. That makes no sense that they would respond in that way. The logical response to that is do not understand that we were sort of playing that what counts as a legitimate logical move, of course, depends on the context, depends on what language game you think you're playing. Sure. In an improv scene, it all counts. And I think believing that really opens people's improv up a little bit and not worrying about pre-clearing their lines or pre-supposing how the other person will accept or take their lines, but just saying them. The other part is that there is an insidious thing at work, and perhaps the medical procedure did lead to the dead cat, and perhaps we did get back to minivan. You could climb on a minivan to get on the roof. That never goes away. That doesn't turn off. That doesn't magically disappear. And the people who see improv from a more artistic bent will latch onto those things and say, we can count on that happening. We can dive into something and not pay attention to what we're doing, do three or four scenes in a row. There will always be a line that connects them. Always. And all we have to do is draw it. And it will always be there. I just do an exercise where I'd have, we can name any three movies, random movies we know we've seen, and decide what the theme is that connects those movies. It's never failed. I'll say that. I've probably done it 25, 30 times, and I've never, never been able to get three random movies and not draw a thematic line through them. Well, especially if you're uh, <laughs> monomaniacal about uh, your hoagies, say, and then you can just find the hoagie in every single movie and say, look at those three things are connected by being hoagie adjacent. This in his very denial of hoagies is expressing a, something very strong about hoagies. Oh, I would hope that the theme is deeper than simply an object appearing in all three things. Uh, one would yeah, hope. Turner and hoagie. There's that uh, one. Yeah. The unbearable lightness of, of the absence of hoagies. <laughs> but maybe we can play that game in future weeks. The thing with the, the cat on the roof thing. So I didn't recognize that as a dialectical response. But because you then explained it afterwards that, oh, you know, I was actually, it was a move in the game. But the move was instead of, you know, a straightforward response, I'm going to turn it to a different channel. 
And that itself is a, you know, an irrelevancy is a response. And you might ask how irrelevant is the irrelevancy? And you could always chart these lines between them like you're talking about. So what do you think I was getting at in bringing up? I obviously didn't do it till the end and I'll, I'll be straight <laughs> with you. I didn't decide on what the topic was until we were well into it because the topic I came in with, there was no opportunity to bring it up. So I'll just save it for another time. Can you tell me what you got out of this discussion of dialectic that might be the thing I have in mind? I wouldn't have known if you didn't bring it up. And that's also true in improv a lot. But so many of the cracks and creaks and paint, the audience, the audience never reckon, the audience never sees. I would say this though, that somehow that there's a tacit agreement between the players that has to be reached. If we're going to have a scene, we're going to have something grow. And that in philosophy or whatnot, ultimately one would hope to arrive at, even though we may come at it from different angles and from different points of view, that there is a shared commonality. That's my guess. I think that's a great lesson. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> it, is, it is dialectically related to uh, what we're talking about. The actual thing that I had in mind that I probably would have just said outright if we had kept going a little longer, but I was looking at the clock, is that a lot of these things that really it's only Hegel, but then Marx following Hegel and, you know, these things that people see as inevitable historical reactions are, as you say, post hoc rationalizations, right? You look at the way history actually did occur or the way it's very clear to me in artistic movements where you can be like, oh, there was Prague and then there was punk reacting to Prague, and then there was post-punk that incorporated some Prague. But those are, you're picking and choosing among, you know, who you think are the exemplars of music, you know, rock and roll during those periods. Obviously, everybody's, there was plenty of root stuff sort of going throughout there. There was, you know, all these things that don't fit your particular pattern. And the fact that you can point to that, I mean, even like the uptight 50s to the loose 60s, like that is such a, just a cliche sure. and doesn't really capture, you know, in any detail what was going on at all. They're just these historical narratives that we've given ourselves. So I wanted to say that this dialectical thinking is a useful way to make sense of things, but it's always kind of bullshitty. <laughs> I'd buy that. We're limited by our own knowledge as our knowledge changes, our understanding changes. Anytime we start saying working in absolutes, it's like, well, if this is a math problem, we'll have absolutes all day long. But once you start leaving that, you know, maybe it's best to grain of salt these things. I'd agree. What do you think I was going for? You're going to have to go all the way back to the beginning 42 minutes ago, if you can. <laughs> this is difficult because, uh, you know, as often happens in the philosophy discussions where you bring up something that I didn't have in mind and we actually do chase that for a while and have a good discussion of it, then whatever started might be lost. <laughs> Where'd this begin? I, we had yeah. a, a lot of good improv stuff. I mean, you began it. You were going to go with my style that you can let somebody be the person who is setting the tone, who is setting the type of humor, who is setting the setting. So is that, is that it? That's, that that's right on the a, nose. A, that's right okay. on the nose. And, and I think it's hard for people, you, know, you talk about musical genres a lot. It's hard for, for people to see the genres in improv. And it's like, great. I know Mark likes to tack absurd. There's always some absurdity going on. And I think that's great. That's fantastic. It's not a judgment. However, sometimes when I play, with you, Mark, I might feel <laughs> my own gut instinct might be to treat that absurdity as too absurd and be frustrated by your absurdity. But this time it's like, no, we're going to dive in and live in this absurd world together. And that is a style choice. How do we want this scene to sound? Even within any musical genre, there's countless subgenres and sub subgenres, and they're all right. They're all good. They're all fine. And hopefully all the musicians are playing in that style together. 
Well, and of course, by this point, you have so melded my improv brain into your desired mold. Well, in fact, when you started that scene as like a problem in the break room, I was like, well, great, crap. I really wanted Mark to... Be... <laughs> it's like That's just what, what came over immediately, whereas I should have picked something that had something to do with my... Uh, Let's go back to being turkey. Actually, okay. there, was, there was something about evidence that was going to be in my original philosophy lesson. So All that's right. partly why of like, we're going to discover some, and I didn't know if it was a murder or something until it started coming out of my mouth, but the evidence behind a theft, but then it got t- sort of too, it went different directions. Well, the, 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 the reality of the moment, <laughs> the, the scene's going to be what it wants to be, and we're both responsible for it. And it, it's, you sometimes people call it playwriting to try to jam the scene into a certain box. And it's like the best scenes are the ones that follow the, their own natural path. And that scene definitely followed this path and it was fun to do. One thing that's started to come out of that that I enjoyed that could be a maybe it's just the the humor of the TV show The Office in its various iterations of is the boss who's trying to talk about something else but ends up making all sorts of politically in, incorrect even in the attempt to be very politically correct uh is just making constant faux pas and that's just a you know something that everybody can relate to at this point I'm not sure exactly where the just having really narrow wrists thing came from I don't know. That was something that we definitely could have run with, but it just seemed like standing up there accusing you of something needed to resolve in some way. Yeah. And of course, I can seize upon any crack or any time you put your foot even near your mouth. My character can seize on that in an effort to manipulate you to feel guilty. So you'll let me go from my crimes. Welcome to life. Do you think that would have been more coherent than the let me start praising your sales ability and we're going to do a scene within a scene? That was the sort of not really prompted by anything that I was getting a little bored with what was going on. <laughs> I would much rather talk about my sales ability than this theft, which I clearly was guilty of. I want to steer this thing away. You know, I hope that came across in my portrayal that any opportunity to not talk about stealing stuff, then my guy's going to jump on with both feet. That was my thinking. I was like, phew, you know, my character's thinking on that. So what would have been a funnier closing line then you have a barbecue on your hands. What would be a better bit of evidence that I could have used as a callback to actually show that you were in fact guilty? Can we brainstorm for a second? I, well, A, I reject the very notion that anything could have been funnier or better and that the scene is the scene is the scene and it is what it is and it's a beautiful, special thing. How could you improve your child? Maybe get them a better job. But yes, that might be a little, a little <laughs> philosophical, Im- improv philosophical. Uh, there are any, any number of things, you know, it, it might be nice if this was a sketch we were going to write for the evidence. Now, you did pick up on my sales technique was essentially me stealing things from their refrigerator, metaphorically. Yes, me disrespecting their objects. Yes, no, that was a good, a really good connection. And you could certainly seize on that or recognize that or not recognize it. And there may be even some, maybe me getting away with it is funny. But something that you could see or whatnot, chances are the answer is back inside the scene somewhere. And if we were to read it back over and see some things and, and be, oh, well, wait a minute, you know, think about your name being too long or your name being misspelled. There was some fun name stuff in there. And maybe that's something. All right. Well, I guess as a final improv topic, this is very much related to what's going on because the uh, judge bot mm-hmm. has spit out the response, which I see that improv had the more profound effect, obviously. Obviously, come on. You also, you nailed it. You nailed it hardcore. What I was going for. <laughs> I at least remembered that one thing you said. Okay. Put it that way. Not that it necessarily, that that was the point that, that changed impact. my life. Okay. But I remembered it at least. But what is the protocol 
for dealing with characters. Is there a protocol that are, there are only two of us. I had a giant room full of people. I didn't know what to do with Tracy, so she just left. So I never know whether to, you know, should we start doing voices? Should we just, we need to have some excuse why they're not joining the conversation. There's a lot of, there's multiple techniques. One is the, they say things that the audience doesn't hear. And I mean, Tracy, when I, you know that I was, I was being facetious, right? Uh Uh-huh. What? (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. She's angry. She's really mad, you know, and and we can kind of work around not ever hearing her or we never do hear her and she storms off. Or is angry, or is in the in the back of the room being angry and staring daggers at us. Anything we can do that acknowledges that she either is choosing not to speak because what we did affected her and pushed her to not speak, or she is speaking and we can hear it, but perhaps the audience can't. And then we have Erica record that line later. There we go, <laughs> and put it in. Fix it in that post. Would be so surprised. Fix it in post. I don't know that I have the energy to do that, but <laughs> perhaps someday. All right. Well, this was fun. I enjoyed learning from you today, Bill. I enjoyed learning from you today, Mark. And scene. Nailed it. That was the best one we've ever done. You think so? The best show closing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that was the closing music. And you would think that this would be over. But yet, you can probably see there's uh, several more minutes on your listening device to this episode. And that's because I, out of the generosity of my heart, no, 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 out of the uh, mercantile instinct, I'm going to expose to you what is normally just for the behind the paywall people, which is our post game, which is, I will freely admit, no big whoop. It has some recommendations. It has some further discussion of whatever we might have talked about in the show, maybe some uh, behind the scenes kind of stuff. And as we are getting guests on many of our episodes here ahead, we will be talking with them a little more, provided that they can stick around. So you can decide for yourself, but I think you're going to see that this is worth your time, that this is the full experience of the show, and you want to get that, which means signing up to be a supporter. You could do that in two ways. There is a Patreon page, patreon.com slash philosophy improv, or you can sign up Directly through the Apple Podcasts app, there should be a subscribe button. Either way, you're helping this show continue to be made, and you won't have to listen to commercials anymore, or to me asking you for money like this. This is the post game. I think we have at least two people that have signed up. Hey, very good. This. I got a very positive response from some improv, from an improv person, an anonymous improv person on one of the postings on an improv site. I was very happy to read, and they just said that they're really enjoying it. And they emphasized really with italics. So let's hope it's not sarcasm. There was I'm no really <laughs> enjoying it. There was no I, slash S on the end or whatever the sarcasm. Yeah. It seems like you'd have to, it's hard for me to vocally italicize only the really and not also the enjoying. Like if you're going to be snotty, it seems like it's the whole sentence. You'd, you'd really want to dig in. Yeah. And really jack up the sarcasm. Yeah. Yeah. If you're speaking it. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't that, doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't really play. It doesn't really work. So many possibilities for future improv topics about inflecting you know, words. It's funny because I've been, I know we've, we, we talked about the Revolutions podcast. And when you mentioned Hegel and Marx, that was the, the current Russian revolution. That's all, that's, you know, the roots of it, you know. So it was like, oh, yeah, I remember hearing about that stuff and how societies move from feudal to 
pre-capitalist to market to, you know, or mercantile to capitalist to socialist per theory. That's the great history changing example of how, yeah, you can trace these things in the past, but you cannot project them forward or or, or try to make any sense or try to force them to happen. Well, that's the theory. We got to make sure it happens. I know there's that. What's his uh, what's his name? One of those rando Trump people, Bannon who is a big fan apparently of the turning points theory or the, uh, the apex points is a name for it, but it's like a lot, you know, the world is going around going, going, you know, hunky dory. And then every 25 years, there's an inflection point. And you can look back at history and with that model and pick your points and make it work. But his whole thing is like, and we're at, we're at an inflection point right now. Now is another inflection point. So we get to choose what this next world is going to be like, you know, and again, it's taking that theory. And just as you said, projecting it forward or trying to jam it onto the future just to satisfy some <laughs> some not real human imagined theory. Right. And there's always a tension in the sort of historically based thinking of between it's going to happen anyway and we have to make it happen. That those shouldn't – like it should just be descriptive theory. It should just be – because really – you know, we're, you know, whether you, Steve Bannon, as a writer or Karl Marx as a writer or whatever, you're not going to have that effect. Like, no matter how many people you reach, your words, if, if there's really this inevitable historical progression, and, you know, you can chart those in terms of like, you know, incredible advances in civil rights. And then, of course, there's going to be reaction. So, of course, after we have a black president, you're going to have to ha- you're going to have a huge counter reaction to that. And they, they did something fucking insane. So now, you know, there's a reaction against that. And, you know, that is entirely predictable. But it seems like there is very little you could do. Well, that's just human. As, that's humanity. That's just human nature. Yes. There's very little you could do to ch- to change that. You could you could try to soften it, but I am now going to predict I'm going to predict the future for anyone listening at home, for you and anyone listening at home. You or anyone very close to you, someone within your circle of friends or or family will have a medical emergency in the next 5 years. Yeah. Would you like another one? I'll send you my $500 right now <laughs> There is a high schooler in America right now involved in a love triangle. <laughs> yes, probably. Probably. Pro- honestly, probably. I think that's a safe bet. I mean, how many tens of millions of high schoolers are? There's probably about 10 million high schoolers in America. There really are probably about 10 million high schoolers. The chances that one of them has an I in their name and is involved in some kind of romantic, I'd say that, I'd, I'd bet it. I'd bet on it. I'd bet on it. You know, speaking, speaking of high schoolers, uh, my... Art, art recommendation for today. Uh, I don't know if anyone is, I may be a little late to the boat here, but something, a TV show on Hulu called, well, it's spelled pen 15 P E N one five. It's might be penis <laughs> uh, secretly and computer leech speak, but uh, it's really funny. Cringe humor. If you like cringe humor, coming of age, cringe humor. That is a great recommendation. I should have come in with something. <laughs> that is fine. You just, you just, we'll just, you can just bank it. You know what? I'll, I'll just sort of ask you. So have you watched the, the, it's getting a lot of buzz right now. The, the White Lotus. You, you know, familiar with that show. I enjoyed some of the character. Have you seen it? Yes. I've seen it all the way through. Oh, so I've not seen it all the way through. I, I think, yeah, I, I think it's a legitimate recommend from me. But what is what was your impression given the first? Did it turn you off? 
There were aspects of it that I didn't like. But there are aspects of it that I really, really liked. How about that? The music thinks that it's much more exciting than it is. <laughs> right from the first episode. Like it's so, you know, it's kind of a little boring. They're, they're, they're quirky. It, you know, there's a lot of great performers doing quirky things and you can, you can I'm roll your eyes at them. I'm fine but with that. Then there's, you know, the music knows that foul deeds are going to happen. And, uh, if anything, it didn't get as messed up as I expected it to. <laughs> I expected like Ozark level or, you know, breaking bad level zaniness and it uh it didn't get to that point and strangely enough it's set up to get you to sympathize with these awful people by the end (laughs) which is what you'd expect from a drama but not necessarily from like a mind-twisting cringe comedy you know something that's going to have some ultra violence in it somewhere Mm -hmm. as the music would indicate yeah so i'd I'd buy that i'd push ahead push ahead and it may well have I, I it, it could just be a completely isolated thing but I saw something about a season 2 which if it has if it does it'll just be like Fantasy Island like that there are no characters it's just all different cast cuz it's just one of these it's an environment where crazy things can happen yeah there were my own my biggest complaints were there were a few things that kind of were taste complaints and I, I I own my taste complaints. I do love cringe things. I do love slice of life. I do love weird characters. It should have ticked every box. But just a few moments, I, you know, spoilers that I was like, eh, huh. I, I I wouldn't have made that choice. That's the, that's <laughs> that's the spoiler that you that does not constitute a spoiler. The fact there's something in this that will, might make you go, ah, uh, that's not a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, uh, just just there were just a few. I wouldn't have made that choice moments. And then that kind of takes me out of it. You know, that, that'll take someone out of it. Absurdity can only exist in reality. And sometimes when people get too weird or too absurd and we leave some reality lying around that I need it picked up and talked about. That's a good, okay. That's a good, uh, uh, it's a line which I'm very familiar with and think a lot about in, with regard to various comedies and things of how absurd that it can be. And then does it expect to make you feel later like about these characters that this show clearly white lotus is some sort of drama ultimately even though it has comedy and so yes you're supposed to feel things whereas there are like some wacky comedies that if if they make that left turn i'm just like this is this is totally unearned you have created a pattern of absurdity why would you think that i would now be emotionally invested in it all of a sudden i'd say i enjoyed the writing more than i enjoyed the direction how about that an example that comes most readily to mind is uh, there's that sitcom Just Shoot Me. You remember that? It was pretty minor. Mm-hmm. It had David Spade in it. That was kind of yeah. the only reason that I started watching it. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty mediocre show. Like, But, you know, some funny performers in it, some good lines here and there. It's nice, light entertainment. But by the time they got to its series finale, you know, every every show, when it wraps up, they have to have this emotional thing. Because, like, yeah, okay, for these actors, all these people on the set, it's been like – five, 10 years of their lives yeah. that they've been living together. But do not expect me, the audience, to give a <laughs> shit about your tearful goodbyes. Like, yes. you have not earned that with this show. You're not even That's friends. a little gross. Please have that party. <laughs> Don't broadcast it to America. Yeah. Yeah. Charge it. Charge a premium. Make yeah. the subscribers. Or do you, get, me, get it's something Patreon you can download going. later for that. I, let's not make that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh, great, great connecting with you. And Good we stuff. can announce to our supporters that uh, we're going to have some guests pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be exciting to have them. 
let's uh, say goodbye to them, and then we'll talk about that for a minute. You got it. Offline. So long, supporters. Thank you. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.